Welcome back to Psyched for Peds, the child mental health podcast for pediatric clinicians, helping you help kids. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Falucco, child psychiatrist and mom. So in the last couple episodes, we talked a lot about ADHD. How do you diagnose it? How do you choose which med to prescribe for ADHD? We've talked about the benefits of stimulant medications for ADHD and how they can effectively improve problems with concentration, hyperactivity, and impulse control. Today, we're going to talk about addressing common parental concerns about ADHD meds and then review common known side effects of meds and how to manage them. So first off, let's talk about parental concerns about ADHD meds. There are a lot of things that I've seen parents worried about. The most common thing that I'll hear parents say that they're concerned about is, I don't want this medication to turn my kid into a zombie. And almost always, they have some sort of horror story of a friend or a neighbor or another relative who took some medicine and then lost their bright, sparkly personality and just seemed to be staring off into space and socially isolated. And of course, this is obviously an extreme bad side effect to medication, and this is not what we want for our kids to experience. So up front, I really like to make it a point to say, look, we don't want to change anything about this wonderful child, and we love their personality. The goal of medication treatment is not to change who they are or their personality. We're really going after trying to help them be able to pay attention better and be less distracted. Part of the goal of the stimulants is to decrease hyperactivity and impulsivity. And so for sure, kids are going to be less bouncy and less spontaneous when they're on these medications. But we certainly do not want this to go to the extreme to the point that they're really quiet or spaced out or really not socially engaged or interacting with other people. But I like to tell families up front that if they notice that this medication is changing who their child is, and I like to tell the patients themselves, if you notice that you feel funny on this medication or you don't feel like yourself, you need to let your parents know, you need to let me know, because we're going to stop that. That is not what we want. We want to find a medication that can be helpful but without causing bad side effects. When I'm seeing patients for their first follow-up visit after starting a medication, or if they're already on stimulant medication, I always ask the kids to tell me, how does it make you feel? And what have you noticed since you started taking the medicine? And what we're hoping to hear is that they don't notice any change in necessarily how they feel, but that they're able to concentrate better, pay attention better in school, or what a lot of my little kids will tell me is that they're getting in trouble less in school and at home, which is a good thing. One of the other things that I've heard parents say that they're worried about, that they really don't need to be worried about, is are my kids going to get addicted to this medicine? And the answer is a clear no. Stimulant medications are not addictive or habit-forming. In fact, there's some indication that almost the opposite is true. We have pretty strong data that shows there is a greater risk that someone is going to develop addiction or a problem with drugs if their ADHD remains untreated compared to those people whose ADHD is being treated. Sometimes we forget to talk about the risks of untreated ADHD. There's a lot of risks of not treating ADHD. ADHD that's come to clinical attention is impairing academic functioning. It's impairing social relationships. It can impair relationships within the family. And these are all important things. In addition to that, we know that untreated ADHD increases risk for mood disorders and for addiction. And if that's not enough to really make you think about potential risks of untreated ADHD, we also have data suggesting that people with ADHD who are not receiving adequate treatment are more likely to get into motor vehicle accidents. 
And then back to the parental question about addiction. While these medications are not addictive, they certainly can be abused. As kids get older, later high school age and early college age, stimulant medications can be abused recreationally and almost used as performance-enhancing drugs among kids who don't have ADHD but who want to have increased alertness to be able to stay up all night and study or to have better performance on exams. When we're working with older kids, it's particularly important to let them know that their friends or their peers potentially may ask to use their medications. Not only is that against the law to be sharing your own prescribed medications with someone for whom they're not prescribed, but also it's potentially dangerous. While sharing is caring, when it comes to stimulant medications, not a good idea. So to recap, we've addressed some common parental concerns about medications, including how meds could cause mood changes, zombie-like behavior, and have hopefully offered reassurance that if we do try a medication that for some reason causes mood changes, that is not one we would want to continue with. And then we've hopefully allayed parents' fears about risks of addiction, which are actually higher in untreated ADHD than in treated ADHD, and helped teenagers be careful about not diverting their medications or sharing pills with others. Now let's shift gears and talk about common medication side effects and how to address them. Now there are a couple of types of common side effects that you can see with stimulants. And the first ones go into the GI slash appetite category. Some kids can develop mild stomach upset, nausea, or abdominal pain if they take the medication on an empty stomach. A known major side effect of stimulants is appetite suppression. And so kids, when they're on the medication, have much less appetite, often skip meals entirely. And we obviously want to monitor height and weight over time to make sure that they keep up with their growth parameters. Our long-term studies show that these effects on growth are not quite as large as we initially feared. Over the course of multiple years, we see that somebody may lose about a centimeter of height or be maybe two and a half kilograms less than they would have been than predicted by the CDC growth charts. There's definitely real appetite suppression, but there are things that we can do to minimize their potential impact on growth. What I do to try to prevent that is I counsel families to have the kids make sure that they eat breakfast before they take their stimulant. And that can help limit the potential side effect of nausea and also get some calories in for the day. And I usually warn families to expect that kids are not going to be eating lunch because their appetite on the medication will typically be suppressed. And that when the medication wears off, we usually strongly recommend families try to boost calories when they've got their appetite back. And so having a really big dinner protein-loaded snacks, carbohydrate-loaded snacks after school is going to be really important. I did want to add that occasionally you can get headaches with stimulants. Usually these are mild and infrequent, but if they're anything more than mild or they're bothersome, same story, we just stop the medicine. So to recap, we've talked about how to address common GI side effects and how stimulants affect appetite. Earlier, we talked about mood changes on stimulants and how to look out for them and that stimulants can sometimes be associated with headaches. Now, most of these side effects commonly occur within an hour or two after taking the medication and when the medication reaches about peak dose in the system. But there's actually a very common response to treatment with stimulants that occurs typically within 30 to 60 minutes after the medication is worn off. And this is something that we have termed rebound hyperactivity and irritability. When the stimulant wears off, there's a brief period of time where the kids have gone from fairly high medication dose concentrations in their body 
to quickly coming off and having nothing. And so that abrupt change can cause not only return of ADHD symptoms, but a dramatic kind of jarring switch and increase in intensity of ADHD symptoms transiently for a short period of time. The clinical history will be they've taken their ADHD med, the teachers are saying they're angels, everything's great, but then they get home from school and it's crazy time and all he wants to do is talk and move and wiggle. There are a couple ways of approaching this. A non-medication way of approaching this brief rebound time. When you get home from school, we're going to have a 30-minute break. You're going to go outside, you're going to run around, kick the soccer ball or do something to get out some of that energy. And assuming that they don't have any after-school work or activities where they need to be concentrating, then that could be a good answer and keep you from having to add another medication. On the other hand, if the medication wears off while the child still has hours worth of homework or activities, it would make sense to add a short-acting stimulant to help them concentrate and perform at their best during this time. So typically, we'll add a short-acting, immediate-release stimulant dose about a half an hour before we think the long-acting one is going to wear off, just to help them with this transition, and then also to help prepare them for the next couple of hours of doing their homework or after-school activities. So now let's talk about the potential impact of stimulant medications on sleep. One thing that we have to keep in mind is that somewhere around 55 to 75 percent of kids with ADHD have sleep problems at baseline, even without treatment with medication. It's always good to take a sleep history before you start a medication and see, are they having trouble falling asleep? How long does it take them to fall asleep? What's their bedtime routine? And then Clinically, what we have to tease out when somebody's on medication and having sleep problems is, are they having sleep problems because they're too amped up because there's stimulants still in their system? Or on the other side, is it that their residual symptoms of ADHD and their own baseline hyperactivity are making it hard for their bodies to just calm down and relax into a sleep state? And so keeping a close eye on how their sleep is doing before and during treatment is really critical. And then adjusting medication as needed. So we've hit many of the major side effects associated with stimulant treatment, and those include appetite suppression, GI side effects, mild headaches, behavioral rebound or irritability, potential mood changes, and then sleep onset delay. And finally, to be comprehensive, I want to talk briefly about cardiovascular effects of stimulant medications. We always measure blood pressure and pulse in kids who are on stimulants, but our studies have showed very minimal, if any, cardiovascular risk associated with stimulants. Bottom line, make sure to ask if there's a family history of anyone in the family younger than 30 with sudden cardiac death, long QTC syndrome, or arrhythmias. And if so, then you may want to refer to cardiology. However, otherwise, there's no need to get a baseline EKG on any typical kids without a red flag in their family history. For those of our friends and colleagues who are still listening, thank you so much for hanging in there. This was a lot of information. So we talked about how to address common parental concerns about ADHD meds and also how to manage common side effects. And finally, as a clinical pearl, I also put in a plug for reminding families about the risks of untreated ADHD when you're having a discussion about medication treatment. And I want to end this episode on a positive note and just remind everybody that ADHD really can be very responsive to treatment. And you can see dramatic changes and improvement in not only how kids do at school, but in social relationships and relationships with the family um, and in just a child's self-esteem after you find the right treatment. And so I just encourage you 
to keep calm and carry on until we can find a good medication that fits and works well for each family. If you have any questions, as always, give me a shout out on our website, psychedthenumber4peds.com. Follow us on Instagram at psychedthenumber4peds. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a friend. We will see you next time. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you.